Welcome to the Kintsugi Life podcast with me, Toby Hazelwood. Kintsugi Life is about learning, growing and strengthening from the times of adversity and challenge that we all go through. It's about valuing them as part of what makes us who we are. Right now, let's get into the content. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Kintsugi Life podcast with me, Toby Hazelwood. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about why I believe we owe it to ourselves to escape toxic and narcissistic relationships. I want to talk about my own experiences in this area, and I want to acknowledge why I think it can be one of the hardest things we need, we need to do, and yet one of the hardest things to enact. In late October 2012, I did one of the hardest and emotionally draining things I've ever had to do. I escaped a volatile and toxic relationship. It lasted for a couple of years, and we'd been living together for at least half that time. It had taken most of the prior four months to finally enact the split, to find her somewhere to live, and actually get her to move out. The process inevitably becomes complicated when you're trying to minimise the impact upon your kids, and there were two of my kids and one of hers in that situation. I paid her rent in advance for six months, as she didn't have a job. That was the only way I could secure somewhere for her and her child to live and to get her to move out of my house. I'd accepted her promise that she'd return the diamond engagement ring on the day that she moved out, and I hadn't actually mentioned that we were engaged to be married, had I? I wanted that ring back not to prove a point, but so I could recover some of the money I'd had to pay out in setting her up in a new home, and she wouldn't give me the ring up front. She was convinced that I'd somehow trick her, using her words, during the process of moving her out if she gave it to me in advance. As I should have expected, on the day she moved out, she claimed she'd given the ring to a friend for safekeeping and wouldn't return it to me. I didn't let her know that I'd already found the ring in her bag that morning, but had chosen out of honour to leave it there and allow her to give it to me as arranged. I never saw the ring again, nor various other items that later became apparent that she'd stolen from me including my spare car key. I doubt she'd ever have tried to take my car, but I had new keys programmed anyway, and tried to forget about it, and to forget about her. The day I moved her out and into her new home, I did so with the best of intentions, hoping that while our relationship had failed, we could both move on in our lives. I had no illusions of remaining friends, nor any desire to do so. I simply wanted to draw a final, dignified line under the whole experience. It was physically tiring, like all home moves are, and intensely emotionally draining too. I changed the locks on my home, and I left town to visit with my parents some 200 miles away. When I arrived there, I felt consumed with tiredness, and an overwhelming sense of relief at the same time. I also felt regret that it had taken so long to enact the decision to part. I regretted putting myself and my kids and her child through the preceding months of pain and the unpleasant anger that had still ensued. Still, it was done. My purpose today isn't to dissect that relationship and revisit all the unpleasant events that contributed to its demise. Nor is it my intention to cast her in an unduly negative light. We both contributed to the failing of that relationship. I've processed the pain that followed as a result of that relationship, and I've moved on happily. In the years that have followed, I've remarried, and I now enjoy a fulfilling, supportive, and loving relationship. As I reflect on that time, it's defined by the toxicity that was threaded through so many aspects of that relationship. She was extremely narcissistic in the way that she conducted herself, 
totally self-righteous, calculating, scheming and emotionally manipulative. She perceived herself as faultless, the victim of circumstances in her life, and certainly above all criticism and accountability for her actions. By entering into the games, the arguments and the struggles, I was also far from blameless in my own conduct. What I want to share are the lessons I learned from being in that relationship and from struggling and eventually escaping from it. These are my own observations and experiences based on what I went through in the time and in recovering from it afterwards. Some things, it seems, can only be learned from experience. The first thing is that we have an absolute responsibility to be true to ourselves. To create a thriving relationship, both individuals must be wholly content and fulfilled in themselves before seeking to become involved with others. Part and parcel of this, I think, is being true to ourselves and not trying to bend or shape ourselves to being something we're not, just to please others. The same applies to considering changing yourself to suit the needs or preferences of others too. In that relationship, we had a long-running disagreement about whether we could or should ever have kids together. I'd been fairly resolute before meeting her that I didn't want more kids, whereas she'd expressed a desire to have kids with a future partner. The nuances of how this played out during our years together were significant and a recurring point of contention. Fundamentally, our starting points were so different on a great matter of great importance and that should have been a good indicator that we were incompatible from the very beginning. Certainly, opinions can change and flexibility, adaptability and a willingness to put the needs of another before our own are all key to a successful relationship. However, attraction, guilt, enthusiasm or simply a desire to please or impress are never good reasons to abandon beliefs and feelings that you hold strongly. You owe it to yourself to be upfront and consistent in how you uphold your beliefs. You owe it to the other person to be honest and consistent rather than giving them false hope that you might change or come round to their way of thinking. The second thing is that we cannot fix someone else, especially if they don't want to be fixed or don't acknowledge they have issues that need fixing. My ex had had a pretty rough upbringing and a chequered relationship history as she related to me. I suppose on some level it was part of the initial attraction I felt towards her. Besides feeling compassionate, I admired that she'd seemingly come so far in life in spite of being dealt a number of bad hands. I'd gone into the relationship feeling like I had it in my power to fix her and show her that she too could have a happy relationship. Looking back, I think I was vain to think that it was in my power to make up for past her in her life. I was also misguided to think that if she had, genuine exper had genuinely experienced challenges in life, that it was in my gift to make up for them, if she hadn't done the necessary work and healing for herself. As time passed, and particularly after we parted, I've come to doubt that many of the tales she told about her past were actually, actually real. Even so, I acknowledge that I was wrong to ever give the impression that I was a knight in shining armour who could make everything alright. I was foolish to even try and cast myself in that role. We all have our own baggage and take responsibility for sorting it out. We have to. Undoubtedly, I brought a lot of dysfunction and negativity to the table in that relationship too. I should have been focused on getting myself sorted before becoming involved with anyone else and I certainly wasn't equipped to solve her problems for her. The next point is that no matter how unpleasant the situation might be, the compulsion to stick with it can be powerful. I recall so many unpleasant events and unhappy days spent in that relationship. 
We'd argue and fight, often to our failing, in front of or in earshot of our kids. She would make false and delusional accusations that I was cheating on her. We'd resolve to part and live in virtual isolation for a few days, before falling on each other's mercy and resolving to give it one last try. As dysfunctional as the entire situation seemed, it felt impossible to actually commit to ending it once and for all. There was no single catastrophic event that led to the eventual demise of the relationship. I think I was so utterly ground down by the situation, and conscious that the three kids in that situation were also being affected, that by then I guess it just seemed to be the only possible conclusion. What struck me as we finally went through with it was just how much hurt and frustration could have been avoided if we'd taken the decision to part many months earlier on, and on one of the other occasions when she'd threatened to end it. I think we have a tendency at times to not want to be thought of by others or ourselves as quitters. We think that the honourable thing to do when faced with challenge or adversity is to fight it. The difficulty comes when we become so blinkered and so lacking in objectivity that we cannot see the realities of the situation. We're so distracted by the battle that needs to be fought that we cannot take a step back and consider whether it's a fight worth fighting. If we'd parted sooner, or if we'd ideally taken longer to determine if we really had a future together before moving in and becoming more entrenched in each other's lives, then we would have achieved the same end. A lot of the pain and hardship could then have also been avoided in the process. The next point is that in times of hardship, it's easy to overlook and ignore what's right in front of you. The more I became entrenched in that relationship, weathering the storms and dealing with the fights and accusations, the more I lost any ability to see my reality for what it was, something that needed to change for all our sakes. What is startling as I look back is just how oblivious I'd become to the advice and guidance of those around me, who were witnessing things from the outside. Perhaps my belligerence came as a result of knowing I was foolish to stick it out and to put myself and my kids through such unpleasantness. Maybe I was just determined to make it work and prove everyone wrong. More likely, I just knew subconsciously that it had to get worse before it would eventually implode and things could get better again. I'm astonished as I look back that I could have been so blind to my situation and so oblivious to the wise counsel of those around me. I suspect there came a point where my loved ones, my family and friends, had to pull back and let me figure it out for myself. They'd provided plenty of advice in the preceding months to try and help me through it, and now they had to let me work out what it was I needed to do for myself. It felt like the old saying, I wasn't able to see the wood for the trees. Maybe it was a shame, maybe it was just shame that prevented me from admitting that I really knew I was fighting for a hopeless cause. Perhaps it was ignorance and pig-headedness that was pushing me to carry on, to prove others and myself wrong. It was likely also fear that was driving me on, a fear of acknowledging my failings and my part in the process, fear of the harm I'd done to our kids and in my own life, fear for the wasted time. Choosing to remain ignorant to the facts is yet another way our brain tries to protect us from immediate pain, albeit by subjecting us to a further long-term hurt by prolonging the agony. Ignorance may be bliss, but the bliss doesn't last forever. The next point is that to hope for spontaneous change and improvement in others, ourselves, or our situation is futile. I suspect the most common reason we keep ourselves in situations that we might otherwise find unpleasant or unpalatable 
is that we vainly hope that things will just improve spontaneously. We convince ourselves that if we can just hold out for long enough, the storms will blow over and rationality and common sense might prevail. I've learned through painful experience that this rarely happens, if ever. With each passing argument, I'd try and convince myself that with things patched up, it might be different next time. If some issue or difficulty had been discussed to a conclusion, then it might just be that that thing wouldn't rear its head again. This never turned out to be the case, and whether issues had been discussed or dealt with previously or not, the same problems came up time and time again. Our scripted roles were fulfilled by each of us as we played our parts in the games and in the arguments that we'd played many times before. A period of peace and harmony in the relationship was viewed as hopefully as a, with a permanent shift, but it never lasted. The harsh lesson is that real, meaningful and enduring change doesn't just happen. It's the same in relationships as it is in all aspects of life. If we want things to improve or be different, it requires conscious and deliberate effort. You have to want to change and to be willing to put in the work to bring change about. At the tail end of that relationship, we attended a few sessions of couples counselling. It was a case of too little, too late, and I suspect we were both really just going through the motions rather than being truly motivated to fix things. The clear lesson I took from it was that I wanted, if I wanted to be a better person as a result of this failure and able to function healthily in any future relationship, then I would have a lot of work to put in to address my own issues and my own failings first. This spurred me on in the aftermath of parting to do that work, and it's continued to be a driver for me in striving to strengthen, heal and grow to this day. I accept as much responsibility for the failing of that relationship as I attribute to her. I hope that comes through in this account. When I look back on that time, I see ways in which I could have done things a lot better. I also see many ways in which circumstances, honour, pride and fear all conspired to keep me in that unpleasant situation, prolonging the pain for all involved for far too long. If I could talk with anyone in a similar situation, then my greatest hope would be to convince them that there are factors keeping them there in that unpleasant relationship that are really, really hard to resist and overcome. As insurmountable as they might seem though, they can be taken on and they can be beaten. It won't necessarily be pleasant at the time, but a happy and peaceful life can be theirs once again. I would really love for them to believe in that. I hope if you find yourself in a difficult situation, or you know someone who is, that you'll feel that there's some worthy advice within this, um, and I'd love for you to pass it on to anyone who you think might benefit from it. So for this time, this is Toby Hazelwood saying goodbye, and until next time, I hope you're thriving and not just surviving. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Kintsugi Life Podcast with me, Toby Hazelwood. You can email me on toby at tobyhazelwood.com. I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love for you to leave me a positive review if you feel unworthy of one. And I'd also love for you to share this with anyone else who you think might benefit from the content. Until next time, this is Toby Hazelwood saying goodbye.